2: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
0: The NBA has already done something today that could dramatically affect the outcome of tonight's game. It's Chris Carlin and Chris Canty in for Greeny today on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus presented by Progressive Insurance. The road... To the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up at ESPNplus.com. So, a few things here as we get ready for Game 3 tonight. The NBA has already assigned the officials for tonight's game. They do that roughly, it gets announced at least, at 9 a.m. on the day of the game. And Scott Foster will be the lead (laughs) official tonight for Game 3. And how that impacts the Draymond uh, Draymond Green situation will be very, very interesting. And you would expect that Draymond's words this week, and especially from after the game the other day, may come back to bite him in the keister somewhat after the league has had to hear for three days about how Draymond should have been ejected from the game.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, Scott Foster, he's kind of like the Ed Hockley of the NBA, right, as far as refs are concerned. No nonsense. He's he's going to have a quick whistle, and if guys are jawing back and forth, he's going to be the one to step in and set the tone early on in this game. So I, I, I don't think this is something that bodes well for – the Golden State Warriors because they need Draymond to play with that edge. And Scott Foster is not going to give him that opportunity, not going to give him that benefit of the doubt when it comes to those near altercations that Green is known for getting into. And I'll take it a step further, Carlin. I think when it comes to the threshold for technical fouls, it's going to be much lower than what we saw in the first two games of this series. And even if it's in a situation where Draymond or another player could get a second technical We've heard from Steve Javi and others around NBA circles that that threshold is typically higher because they don't want to eject a player. I don't think it's going to be that type of situation in Game 3. Because the NBA is going to allow the officials to make a statement, to send a message about what the rest of this series is going to look like and things that will not be tolerated. Because the last thing the NBA wanted to hear was Draymond Green's post-game press conference and his notes from his podcast the other day. They don't want to hear the fact that he, he's earned preferential treatment from the officials. That's not what the NBA can, can be allowed to no, let stand for.
0: absolutely not. Here's no. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider, this morning on Get Up on how Foster will also influence this game tonight.
3: Well, the sheriff is coming in, and I want to be clear. This was probably decided weeks ago that Scott Foster was going to be the Game 3 official so that they can bring him back in Game 6 or 7. It was not, a re- it was not in re- in because of what happened in Game 2. But Scott Foster and J.J., I know Scott Foster a little bit. J.J. knows him a lot more. He is the sheriff. He doesn't always make everybody happy, but I'll tell you one thing that Scott Foster will not, will not bow down to. He will not bow down to the crowd. So while the crowd is all over him, and whatever they want from Draymond, Scott Foster will not care. And Scott Foster will set the tone, is my guess, coming into this game, that no shenanigans, no nonsense, we're going to play basketball. He's going to set the tone for how the physicality is going to go early on with his crew.
0: you Ed Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio. And no matter how this plays out with Draymond,
2: mm-hmm.
0: how, let's just argue for a minute. In the first quarter, he gets ejected. Okay? That storyline while it will be talked about after the game will be kind of over. And then it becomes as most of the game will be about Steph Curry, but especially about Clay Thompson and it has been documented. And when you're in the NBA finals, you're going to hear about it even more about the kind of slump that you're in. He was talking about going and trying to uh, watch some YouTube videos of himself (laughs) yesterday uh, when he was shooting very well uh, in clutch situations to be better they have to find ways to make it easier on him tonight. And I thought Jay Will made a great point this morning. I was kind of thinking the same thing uh, before he brought it up on, on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. And, and that is that you have to find him chances in easier spots like catch-and-shoot situations. This is not go find your own shot off the dribble.
2: No, it's not. But here's the problem with that. And, and Scott Foster being an official, I'm interested to see how it affects this particular aspect of the game. The rest have swallowed their whistle this series. They're letting them play. And that benefits Boston because, overall, they're the more physical team, especially when it comes to their defensive prowess, which is why the Golden State Warriors have featured a lot more high pick and roll in their half-court sets than they have their typical motion offense with the pin downs and running guys off the of screens and getting catch-and-shoot opportunities. So how the referees officiate this game is going to dictate whether or not Klay Thompson can have those said opportunities, those catch-and-shoot looks, because we'll both admit – Like, when Klay Thompson gets those opportunities, he's usually money. Since 2014, 2015, you're talking about the guy shooting 43% from three on catch-and-shoot opportunities, and you're talking about over 3,300 attempts. So, that's a pretty good sample size. He's one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA. So, being able to get him those looks and get him in a rhythm, that sounds good, But it's also predicated on how the officials call the game because we know that Boston is going to be physical when it comes to the picks and the down screens that the Golden State Warriors try to set on offense. But Much like we saw in game one where
0: the Celtics were able to win despite Jason Tatum's off night. And he wasn't very good in game two either. But we saw the Warriors able to do the same thing with Clay, specifically in game two. But can the Warriors at this point actually win the series if Clay continues to struggle? Here is Jeff Van Gundy uh, on the Low Post Podcast with Zach Lowe.
4: I can't envision in my mind how they could win this
5: series, let alone another game, if he can't find a level of doesn't have to be great, but super impactful. And them being one-one after the two games that he's played is a testament to you know their defense. Curry's greatness, they have a, a good competitive instinct, but they got to get more from Thompson.
0: Well, and the thing is, and we've talked about this, defensively, he's not the same player that he was. No. He's nowhere close because of the injury and the lateral movement, so his impact has got to be in being able to shoot the ball and being effective from the outside just to be a threat.
2: No question about it. Thompson is going to have to be a huge factor if Golden State is going to win this series, but one of the other things that I'm interested to see – as the series shifts back to Boston, is how the Warriors are going to be coming out of the second half because they've basically been able to dominate the third quarter in the first two games of this series. They've outscored the Boston Celtics 73-38, to and they're shooting 46% in that third quarter in comparison to Boston's 31%. So them continuing to have that disparity in scoring and continuing to get leads and extend leads in the third quarter – is going to be critical especially going up against Boston in their home home court and that having that home crowd energy. Golden State is not going to have the benefit of the crowd behind them in that third quarter like they have the first two games. Mm-hmm. So how they respond to that, how they manufacture that energy to go on those runs is going to be something that I'm watching tonight.
0: Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance, insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. It's Canty and Carlin in for Greeny today. More on the NBA, bottom of the hour. One of our uh, NBA experts will help us break all down Game 3. That coming up about 20 minutes from now. Up next, though, the star wide receiver who did not show up for mandatory minicamp and you will have to think more likely that he could be on the move than maybe it was a few days ago and we're not talking about Debo Samuel it's next Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN radio
2: Greeny
4: the podcast
6: H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. DK Metcalf didn't show up
0: Mm, for mandatory minicamp. That means fines. That means... He's not happy. It's Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're coming to you live from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17. Nature Valley has helped restore access to 10,000 miles of national park trails and counting because everyone deserves to experience what's out there, like your kids, their kids, and even their kids' kids. So head over to your local park trail to see for yourself. Nature Valley, life happens out there. I was surprised, and it kind of flew under the radar yesterday, Chris, mm. that DK Metcalf did not show up to mandatory minicamp with the Seahawks when he had shown up to all the voluntary stuff. And all we have heard from both sides is that they were making nice-nice and felt like that this was a deal that would inevitably get done. But for Metcalf now to sit out, that doesn't feel to me like a deal's going to get done. And if I'm Metcalf... I have to get paid right now if I'm staying in Seattle because my numbers are just not going to be nearly as good this year with either Drew Locke or Geno Smith as my quarterback.
2: Well, here's the question. If you're DK Metcalf, why would you want to stay in Seattle? I mean, even if you force your way out, wherever you go, you're going to get paid. There's not going to be a team that's going to trade what it would take Unless to he pry likes you there. from Seattle. Yeah. Well, you like it there with, with Drew Locke and Geno Smith as your quarterbacks? You like it there? I'm just talking about the city and wanting and to that's be all, there. And that's all well and good, and there's no state income tax. I love that, too. But here's the thing. If you want to win, then Seattle's not the place to do that, at least not in the immediate future. So if you're DK Metcalf, wouldn't you want to explore options where there's a team that feels like they're – a wide receiver away from being able to compete at a championship level or a team that's willing to make you the highest paid wide receiver around the National Football League. To me, those are all possibilities for DK, none of which I think are going to happen in Seattle. Okay. The team
0: that needs to call them right away is the Jets. Mm. And look, we had talked about this when it first came up that he was looking for a new contract and it hadn't happened yet. And, And naturally, our minds all turned to trade. The Jets have the wherewithal and with the assets to go and get him and to pay him. They have contracts coming up. Yes, mm-hmm. but they could still make this work. And if you're the Seahawks and let's say that you really liked Garrett Wilson coming into the draft, why wouldn't you make a deal where let's say you could get Garrett Wilson and a future one for DK Metcalf and the jets could then turn around and pay Metcalf the big time contract. If I'm the jets, DK
2: Metcalf is infinitely
0: better than Garrett Wilson right now.
2: Yeah, there's no question about it. DK Metcalf is a proven commodity. Yep. He's one of the very best receivers in the NFL. When you start talking about the height, weight, speed combination, the playmaking ability, just his sheer competitive nature, Carlin, I think he does add a lot to your team, not just in terms of, you know, the production, but in terms of the attitude, the mentality. And the Jets could use a whole lot of that. I'm sure a lot of teams around the National Football League could use a lot of that. But one of the teams that I think would be interesting for D.K. Metcalf, the Indianapolis Colts. Oh boy. That's a team that I would point to and say, "Oh, they're a wide receiver away from being able to compete at a championship level. Maybe they're not the Buffalo Bills, a team that's bringing back a top five offense and a top ten defense. But when you start looking at who the second best team in the AFC is, you're thinking about Cincinnati, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Denver Broncos, you know, potentially the Baltimore Ravens, if the Indianapolis Colts traded for DK Metcalf, I will put them right up there with all of those other teams that are vying to be the second best in that respective conference. Because think about what they've done this offseason. They've added Yannick Ngakwe yep. to pair with Quiddy Pei and DeForest Butner along their defensive front. They've got an all-pro at inside linebacker with Darius Leonard. They, they added Stephon Gilmore to go alongside pro bowler Kenny Kenny Moore the second like th- this is a team that is absolutely stacked not to mention Carlin they traded for Matt Ryan and they have an MVP candidate in the backfield in Jonathan Taylor and an offensive line that's built like a brick wall the Indianapolis Colts if they got DK Metcalf would be on a short list of teams that I would call true championship contenders out of the AFC. you'd have
0: to you'd, you'd have to and it would be an amazing move because I think the thing that really gets overlooked with the Colts Chris The deal to get Matt Ryan, the one thing... That was a heist. That wasn't a deal. That was a heist. (laughs) That was an absolute heist, and it was a major (laughs) screw-up by the Falcons because they were trying to get Deshaun Watson. And so they only got a third-round pick for him. The one thing I have not heard anywhere when Matt Ryan got traded was, well, Matt Ryan's done. Matt Ryan doesn't have a whole lot left. Eh, that's just a filler. Matt Ryan can't really do it. I haven't heard that anywhere he was on a bad football team last year really bad really bad that had lost uh some of its playmakers and its offensive line wasn't very good like they needed to move on from him and and this is now a situation where matt ryan could go somewhere else and maybe win that championship. He Mm -hmm. could go to Indianapolis and have a great chance.
2: Yeah, I think there's more left in the tank for Matt Ryan. I think he has the potential to have a pretty good second act with the Indianapolis Colts. Especially if if you had Metcalf. I mean, first of all, you're talking about him continuing to play indoors or play in warm-weather cities given the division that he's in. He's playing on the road in Tennessee, Jacksonville, and Houston. Can you imagine Jonathan Taylor along
0: with Michael Pittman and then DK Metcalf? I mean, that's... That that's is pretty special. That, that's
2: pretty special. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at Matt Ryan, his production, he was 11th in passing yards last year. But the previous three seasons, Carlin, he was top six in passing yards in each of them. So it's not like this guy can't, hey, forgot how to throw the football. They just need to get him a few more weapons. And if you add a guy like DK Metcalf, it seems like it would make a whole lot of sense, especially with the championship window that the Colts have carved out for themselves.
0: I, I can't with Rodgers anymore, by the way. Oh boy. We we had kicked around. Oh boy, here we, we go. We had even kicked around before the show, and I won't even make a big deal about it. We had kicked. You around. always oh, make
2: a big deal about it,
0: Rodgers. But what about the Packers? Could, could the Packers be a place where Metcalf could end up? If I were the Packers. I would absolutely dig into that, especially considering they were more than willing to pay Devontae Adams. He just preferred to go somewhere else with a quarterback that he didn't think was just a mega, mega, what's a mega maniacal, whatever the word is. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm, huh?
2: Huh? You know,
0: huh? I can't even think of the word right now. I know Meg- what you're talking megalomaniac? about.
2: Megalomaniac? Yeah, megalomaniac. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't the, want to take it there, though.
0: No, it, well, he's just, he's... Who's not interested in winning first and foremost.
2: No, he was interested in dictating to the Green Bay Packers what he was going to do and being able to finish his career there. Yeah. That's what that was all about. But I oh, do, still talking I, about it, I though. do think the Packers would be another place that you would point to. But if I'm DK, why would I want to go sign up to play for Aaron Rodgers after one of the best receivers in the NFL told me he didn't want to play with Aaron Rodgers? Mm-hmm. That would be something that I have to look at with a little bit of a raised eyebrow, maybe a side eye. But again, they're going to be – if the Seattle Seahawks make DK available, there's not going to be any shortage of teams that would be interested in him. But I think a part of that would be forking over significant draft capital and making him the highest paid receiver in the NFL, which is the Tyreek Hill deal – Thirty million dollars a year because yet, he's because he's just that good. And with
0: Aaron, we just we keep asking him about retirement, and he's more than willing to talk about it. If I feel like I
7: need to recruit a guy like that back to the Packers, uh, I've already lost. So ultimately, Devonte thought it was best for him and his family to be in Vegas. Um, so that was tough for sure. I'm you know a little biased, uh, but it's hard to think of a better player I've played with. But again, Tay you know made a decision he thought was in the best interest of him and and his family and and uh, I can't fault them for that at all.
0: Alright, fault me because I played the wrong cut. Here's the right one. So you, you think <laughs> you'll finish your career here?
7: Yes, definitely. See yourself at some point saying I'm going one more year and then I'm done. I would never say that publicly. No, never. Um, yeah, I've, I've never been one to want some sort of going going away season or anything like that. No, you don't want contention. Um, and Plus I don't think it's fair to the mental state at the end of the season and thinking how you feel. If you say I'm for sure playing two more or three more years and then you have a magical season, and end with a championship, and think that that might be the best way to write off. You know, I don't want to commit to something. You say I'm only playing one more year, and you have a bitter taste in your mouth, and still got the drive and the passion to play one or two more years. I just don't want to get pigeonholed into it. So oh I'm focused on this season. Um, I'm never going to drag it out in the off season. Never, never. The conversations I've had with Brian have been very honest and and, and direct and that's not going to change and, and we'll sit down after the season and hopefully after a championship and and figure out what the next step is as
2: long as it's 50 million a year as long as it's 50 million a year and i have full control over when i walk away
0: why would i ever want to drag it out in like two months who would do that
2: that's the part that's laughable because he said he wasn't going <laughs> to drag it out. Part? He was going to make a quick decision because he realized so many, other of his, so many other futures for guys in that locker room in Green Bay depended on what decision Aaron Rodgers came to. And the guy took months in order to come to the conclusion that we all knew he would come to, which is I want to come back and play for the Green Bay Packers.
0: By the way, I was an English major. Yeah, I couldn't pronounce megalomaniac, megalomaniac, megalomaniacal, whatever uh, it is, megalomaniac. Yeah,
4: okay. I've worked with a few. Greeny, the podcast.
1: Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
0: Affections from the PGA continue. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, among the very latest to leave the PGA for the Live Tour. I haven't seen any numbers as of yet as to what they potentially got to leave.
2: It's a whole lot of money. It is a
0: whole lot of money. Like, it's got to be. It's
2: tens of millions of dollars.
0: Yes. You would think in the 75 million range or 50 million range for those guys when we've seen what some of the other numbers were. 200 for Phil, you know, 125 for Dustin Johnson. And listen, as long as those numbers continue to be thrown around, the PGA could be in trouble here. And, And Chris, that's what's actually a little bit more interesting to me. At some point, are we going to reach a level where they are losing so much of their talent that the PGA actually gets in real trouble for its existence when the live tour can really afford to pay these guys this astronomical amount of money?
2: Well, it's certainly got to be some concern, right? And there are going to be PGA Tour events that are always going to be looked at as the marquees. But if you have guys that have exemptions for those majors, then there's no downside to going to play on the live tour because you still have the opportunity to be at those major tournaments where the majority of the casual fans that watch golf are going to tune in at those specific events.
0: The only thing that you couldn't do is win the Grand Slam, and I don't think they're too worried about that.
2: Yeah, I think they'll be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll, cry, <laughs> they'll cry themselves to sleep with tens of millions of dollars from the lift. How do you or, sleep at night to on, a t-
0: on a large pile of money? Exactly. That's exactly
2: <laughs> what it comes down to. But this is the thing that we pointed to yesterday when we talked about DJ and, and Phil Mickelson deciding that they were going to make this move. The, the money that's out there for these golfers with the Live Tour. It's just one of those things that you can't turn down. You're talking about more money than these guys are getting in their career earnings, and as long as they have the visibility that their sponsors are comfortable with, then I think you're going to see more and more guys making this decision. And so, yeah, the PGA Tour, they've got got a real issue on their hands now, and I'm not quite sure how they navigate it with some of the biggest and brightest stars defecting and going to the Live Tour. You
0: bring up an interesting point, though. The visibility that your sponsors need yes they only
2: have eight events on the live tour yeah but half of them are in the united states yeah half of them and so but i'm
0: saying you want if you're sponsoring
2: players you want them out there as much as possible
0: yeah and when you only have eight events that's not really the case
2: well just right now yeah who knows what happens in the future in terms of what they schedule but i think this is this is kind of a, a wait and see approach but if this goes well you could see more events happening
0: NBA Finals are on ESPN Radio. Tune in, Game 3 tonight. Celtics hosting the Warriors, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Canty and Carlin in for greedy on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. I am fascinated tonight to see exactly what this looks like for the Warriors on the road in Boston We know what the assignment is, and that's to get one of the two Mm -hmm. so that they can get home court back. Yeah, But I I do wonder, considering how the Celtics have not played great at home, how much of a factor that is going to be in this game tonight.
2: Yeah, I wonder how much of a factor it's going to be as well, but I, I can't acknowledge that without pointing out the fact that Golden State has a significant advantage when they're playing at the Chase Center just because of the energy of the home crowd behind them. Right. They are a different team when they're at home, when they're on the road. So, in effect, I think those things will cancel themselves out. So, that's something that we have to watch. But but I would certainly look at this as advantage Boston in terms of being able to go back home and having their home crowd behind them. Celtics three-and-a-half point
0: favorites tonight in Game 3. For more on Game 3, we head to the telephone lines to welcome in Kirk Goldsberry, ESPN senior NBA writer who joins us right now. Kirk, it's Chris Carlin and Chris Canty in for Greeny. We appreciate the time and let's just start here. What has gone wrong for Clay Thompson so far? Oof, he
5: is just cold. I mean, this is a guy who played his heart out to close out the Mavericks. Remember, he scored 32 points game high. Looked like the clay of old. Uh, to, to end that Mavs series, and, and so far in this series, he hasn't made his shots, and he's just been cold. I think he's in his head more than any of us have ever seen him. Um, that said, the Celtics aren't about to leave him open and challenge him to to get open, but I, I would give a compliment also to the best defense in the NBA here, guys. Uh, Chris, you guys know the Boston Celtics have an elite set of perimeter defenders from Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White. They're not making things easier for spot up shooters uh, by any means. So I think it's a combination of Clay coming back, a little rust, a little nerves. But let's give some credit and some shine to that Celtics defense here too.
0: Okay, so if you were Steve Kerr, what are you doing tonight to help Clay get on
6: track?
5: If I'm Steve Kerr, I'm, I'm letting Clay be Clay. Uh, again, he had a couple of cold nights in that in that math series, and, and he ended up being his best when they needed him to be his best in that game five when he made eight threes. And, you know, you just got to trust Clay Thompson. We've seen it time and time again from him. Uh, unless he has another two, maybe even three cold games, he's going to keep his place in the rotation. They're going to keep running their offense that is is designed in part to get him and Stefan uh, good looks from from behind the edges. When Steve Kerr took over from Mark Jackson, he he sort of redesigned the offense, took away some pick and rolls, and and, and played through the bigs in large part, guys. To get open looks on the edges for Clay Thompson and for Stephen Curry, that's not going to change because Clay has a couple of cold games. So this this offense and Clay's pace and the rotation, they've gotten them through this seven eight year run. Now it's not going to change because Clay had two cold nights uh, to start the, the NBA Finals this year.
2: Talking with ESPN NBA analyst Kirk Goldsberry on Greeny. And Kirk, Jason Tatum, while he's had his moments in the first couple of games of this series, he certainly hasn't looked like a first-team All-NBA performer, especially when it comes to playmaking and being able to score and stem the tide of some huge Golden State runs in the third quarters in games one and two. So what does Jason Tatum need to do in order to get back on track and be the difference as to why his team wins games?
5: He needs to play better offense. He needs to play better offense specifically as a scorer, Chris. I think when you think of Jason Tatum, you think of a guy who can score almost 50 points in a huge game like he did in the Milwaukee series. He hasn't been good enough as a scorer, period. In fact, he was awful in game two shooting the basketball inside the arc. This guy needs to make some of those mid-range shots, some of those isos uh, late in the game if it's close. He's the guy that can sort of get a bucket for the Boston Celtics late in the shot clock, and he hasn't shown that. Now, to be fair to him, he created 35 points with his assists in game one. When we look back at that game one, that three-point onslaught, a lot of that had to do with Tatum, the creator. Uh, So he has been pretty solid uh, as a passer, at least in game one. What we need to see in games three and four back home for Tatum is that jumper going in. He needs to be shooting and making the jumper, getting to the free throw line, leading this team, not only in points, but field goal attempts, potentially assists. He needs to be the focal point of this offense. if They're going to come back uh, and win game three tonight in, in Boston.
0: Kirk Goldsberry, ESPN NBA analyst, joining Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN radio. A great mystery and something that's not talked about a lot. The Celtics in close games have not been very good at all, but They are here because they have played a lot of games that have not been close. They have been able to, when they have won, they have won in relatively impressive fashion. So if you're the Warriors, uh, knowing that you're on the road in a tough environment, a place where the Celtics have not been great in the postseason, how much of this, how much can you trust in numbers that, hey, if we get them to a close game, this is a huge advantage for us?
5: I trust the the champions in this. And I I think that's a big part of the series. When I did my series preview for ESPN.com a couple weeks ago, I I looked at this and I said, man, if it comes down to a five-point game, if you just look at these two resumes, the Golden State Warriors have a huge advantage in in those situations. And in part, it's because Jason Tatum in the clutch has been a terrible jump shooter. I think he's made nine of his 42 jump shots in clutch time all year long, two from 25 from three-point range. Um, If that's your go-to guy, and I believe it is in these close game situations, he hasn't been good enough. So it goes back to that previous question, guys. Can Jason Tatum really do what superstars do in these big moments, take it to the Golden State Warriors defense and make the shots that need to be made down the stretch? He hasn't proven that. You're exactly right. This team deserves a lot of credit for blowing teams out, for having this incredible defense. They are here for a reason, but – That reason isn't their ability to execute in the clutch. And it it starts with Tatum, but it goes to the other guys, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. They need to be making their best decisions in these big moments. I think it's a big deal if there's a four-point game uh, and you're looking at one side with Draymond and Steph and and Clay, uh, and you're looking at the other side where these guys just haven't gotten it done in those meaningful moments.
2: Kirk, in the first two games of this series, the refs have let these two teams play. It's been a physical brand of basketball. They swallowed their whistles. But after the postgame comments from Draymond Green and the subsequent fallout behind him saying that he gets preferential treatment, and then couple that with the fact that Scott Foster is going to be officiating game three, how do you anticipate what we've heard and what we've seen over the last couple of days impacting how this game is officiated and how this series is officiated moving forward?
5: You know, these are two of the best defenses in pro basketball, and and they will they will play as aggressive as the refs let them. And I think that is one of the big storylines in this series too. Is if if the, if this team or either of these teams are allowed to play physical, they will. Uh, and I think we've seen that in the first two games. I think the refs, from their perspective, want to make sure nobody gets kicked out, especially the star players. Uh, but this game is going to be a massive game. I expect Draymond to come out with that ferocious energy again uh, and challenge not only the Celtics, but the referees. Uh, and we'll see what they do in the first quarter. Draymond in the first quarter of game two came out on a mission, uh, and I think he set the tone early. The Golden State Warriors defense looked like a top defense, unlike they did game one. Uh, so I expect the, the officiating to, to be similar The thing is, will the extracurricular activity get called? Will Draymond get an early technical? Because as we know, that can change the whole vibe around the, the Warriors' defense and their ability to stop the Celtics' offense.
0: Aside from Draymond, last one from me, Kirk. It's Kirk Goldsberry, ESPN NBA analyst. What else would you look for early in this game that will tell you about where it potentially could be headed?
5: You know, I look at the jump shot making. If Stephen Curry is able to shoot and score as well as he has, he's the leading scorer of this series. Uh, And if they can't stop him, that's good news, obviously, for the Golden State Warriors. On the other end, the Celtics' jump shooting has been bad. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Derek White, Marcus Smart. Look for whoever's going to win that battle of the edges where you can score the ball without dealing with that same level of physicality that these teams bring on the inside of the arc. Uh, So for me, one stat to watch going into game three is which team is effectively able to score from the perimeter. And remember, Clay Thompson is sitting here uh, without a big game. Can it be Clay's night? Will the Celtics repeat their game one shooting performance? These are big questions. Whoever outscores the other from the perimeter, I think will have the edge in game three.
2: Kirk, how important will Robert Williams' health be in game three and the rest of this series in terms of Boston's chances to be able to win?
5: Yeah, I love that question. He's the most underrated player in the series, period. And 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 people, he's not a household name. He's not an all-star. But this dude's emergence this year is the biggest reason the Celtics have the best defense in the league. He's he's just a prototype big, kinda like Draymond set the template. He can defend everybody on the other team, anywhere in the scoring area. He enables Boston to be that switching defensive juggernaut that they've become since January. Um, When he's out there and it doesn't look like he's moving well, this Celtics defense just is less effective. Shots get a little bit easier for the Golden State Warriors. I think Robert Williams' health is secretly one of the most important things in this series. If he is – at his best, the Celtics team is nearly impossible to score on. And if he's limited, they're not. Uh, and it's that simple. So I think it's a great question, and it's something I'll be watching in Game 3. Is, is that leg going to be uh, able to help him, especially on those perimeter assignments, uh, slow down and keep in front of those Warriors ball handlers?
0: Kirk, great insight. Enjoy the game tonight. Appreciate the time.
5: Hey, anytime, guys. Enjoy the game.
0: Kirk Goldsberry, ESPN NBA analyst, joining Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Now... I, I keep going back to this mentally, and that is just simply getting Clay Thompson going. And I get it. I, I think if you're Steve Kerr, you have probably laid back the last couple of days and just did exactly what Kirk was talking about. It's Clay Thompson. I'm not worried. He'll be fine. And when I start going... Klay well,
2: Thompson's worried about it, he, though. He is. If he's and- got to go to a YouTube, YouTube highlights and watch when he was really, really good and how he's had a lot of success in this league... That says that he's in his own head. Well, let's hear
0: from him from yesterday on that very topic. That's the beauty of playing in today's age is you can go on YouTube
5: and you can look up all your great moments. And uh, gosh, I'll probably just YouTube
7: Game 6 Clay because there's some very high-pressurized situations I was in, and I ended up shooting the ball well. And when you can do it, when your back's against the wall, you know you can do it
0: at any given moment. Go to YouTube and remind yourself that, yes, I am awesome.
2: I am awesome. I am great. Yeah, there's no question about it. Clay is one of the greatest shooters the game has ever seen, but yep. right now he's in a little bit of a slump.
0: Yes, and you can tell, even when the way he's talking about it there, that it is in his head.
2: Yeah, no and, and, and here's the thing. The, the psychology of, a, of an athlete, especially at this level on this stage, is extremely fragile. So for Clay Thompson to acknowledge that, yeah, I'm in a slump and I had to go remind myself of how good I am – I don't know if that's necessarily a great sign for the Golden State Warriors, but I also will, will piggyback that comment with acknowledging that confidence comes from demonstrated performance. And being able to go back and see the film and see how you were able to have success, it could be the thing that helps break Klay out of this slump. So that's something to watch and pay attention to in Game 3 because they're going to need Clay Thompson to have a big scoring night if they're going to be able to steal one of these two games that's in Boston. And for those that had not
0: heard, Scott Foster will be the lead official tonight in Game 3. And as we hear from Brian Windhorst, ESPN, ESPN NBA insider, you would expect for him to have a big impact.
3: Well, the sheriff is coming in, and I want to be clear. This was probably decided weeks ago that Scott Foster was going to be the Game 3 official so that they can bring him back in Game 6 or 7 it was not a real. It was not in, re- in because of what happened in Game Two. But Scott Foster and JJ. I know Scott Foster a little bit. JJ knows him a lot more. He's the sheriff. He doesn't always make everybody happy. But I'll tell you one thing that Scott Foster will not will not bow down to. He will not bow down to the crowd. So while the crowd is all over him and whatever they want from Draymond, Scott Foster will not care. And Scott Foster will set the tone. Is my guess. Coming into this game that no shenanigans, no nonsense, we're going to play basketball. He's going to set the tone for how the physicality is going to go early on with his crew. All
2: I'm looking for is consistency with the calls. If it's a technical foul, it should be called a technical foul. I don't care if the guy already has a tech that's on the books. If he makes a play that would be considered a technical foul, if he's barking at the official to, to the degree that it rises to the level where you have to call a technical foul, then call a tech. And if that means ejecting a guy, then that's what it should be. But what I am tired of is the officials moving the goalposts in critical moments in the NBA Finals. That cannot happen. What happened in game two with that Jalen Brown altercation, that, that can't happen again. They it got, won't they, happen they, they again. got to stop that.
0: I, I had no problem with it, but it won't happen again. This is going to be a much different officiated game when it comes to one player particularly, and that's Draymond Green. Yeah. And, and look, Draymond... I wonder, Chris, like we were talking about the idea that Draymond was doing this to take the pressure off of some of his teammates, potentially. Mm -hmm. I do wonder, like, going into this game, how does he mentally prepare himself for this? What is he thinking as he is going into this? Is this, I got to get after it right away and show you exactly who I am and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, and there's nothing that anybody can do about that? Or is it... Maybe I do need to tread a little bit more lightly, not get away from who I am, but not go the extra mile and aggravating.
2: It won't be that, Carlin. If anything, Draymond I wouldn't think so. If, if anything, Draymond <laughs> is going to turn up. Because everybody in Boston, you heard from where oh, he'll feed off. Everybody, of this. everybody in Boston is gonna come at Draymond with so much vitriol, and they're gonna be on Scott Foster to try to call a technical on Draymond for chirping at their players, at the officials, or even Draymond chirping at Adoka. All of the Boston Celtics fans, that's what they want to see. And Scott Foster is not going to get it, give into that energy. So I could see a situation where Draymond gets a little more leash. He's, you know, he's emboldened a little bit more just because Scott Foster doesn't want to be seen as bending to the crowd and what everybody in the sports world wants to see happen, which is Draymond Green getting a quick whistle for a technical foul. See,
0: I don't think it'll be because, I I don't think it'll be because he's, that Foster's thinking about bending to the crowd. I think it's just get in there, as Wendy put it, the sheriff, restore order and make sure that Draymond knows this is not going to be about him.
2: Well, I I hear what you're saying, but Draymond Green is going to be Draymond Green. If he can't be a guy that pushes it right up to the line, then he loses the value that he brings to this Golden State Warriors team because they need him to be the attitude. They need him to be the physical presence. They need him to be the edge for this team to be kind of chippy and get under the skin of the guys on the Boston Celtics. That's what they need Draymond Green for. As much as they appreciate his defense and his playmaking, They need him to be that (laughs) agitator in order to compete with the physicality of the Boston Celtics. We saw it from
0: Kyrie in the first round. I wonder, it would be amazing if there was a betting line as to whether or not Draymond would flip off the crowd tonight at some point.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I'm going over on the double bird.
0: <laughs> I think it could be, and I think it could be on his way out of the building. I would not be shocked if that was the case tonight. Who you got? I'm going with Celtics, baby. I will take the Warriors tonight. Okay. It will be a fascinating Game 3
2: in Boston. Thanks for listening to Greeny the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN Plus.
0: Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available
2: wherever you get your podcast.
3: Robert Half research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.